Let's go to the Lord again in prayer. Holy Father, hallowed be Thy name. We thank You for the blessing and the health to be able to assemble together and worship You. Even as we have sung, we recognize that all is in vain unless the Holy Spirit tabernacles among us and blesses the things that are said to be sanctified into the hearts of those who hear. Obviously, for that to be so, the truth must be spoken. And we ask for your leadership and guidance in that we might do that. We long for the day when we will be with you and our worship will not be in vain. We can't imagine what it will be like. We will have the completeness of Christ in all of its fullness. We know that legally, through the justifying righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are complete in Him now. But then we shall be complete in body, in spirit, in soul, the whole being. We'll be sanctified in such a way that we will give full expression to worship unto you. We often find ourselves here wondering about our worship. At least I can speak for myself, my God. Is it really acceptable in your sight? I know that we are to love you with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, our body, our strength. 24-7 And I know that I don't do that. I know in reading your word, in prayer, and even times during trying to preach, having wandering thoughts, and all such things that get in the way and hinder our worship unto you. And in the midst of all that, we can say that we thank you that you know our frame, that it is as but dust, and you pity us as a father pities his child. I would that we knew how to 
really be appreciative of your grace and mercy. Again, we would ask that if it would seem good in your sight, that you would bless faithful men as they stand to proclaim the unsearchable riches of Christ today, wherever they are, and that you might raise up others. For it seems that there are so few And even as the poll that we heard about that was recently uh, taken, if our memories are correct and we heard correctly, hardly any who profess to be preachers of the gospel really believe in the full inspiration of the scriptures. How can we expect your bounties to reside with us with such statistics. Nevertheless, thy will be done. We pray, our God, for friends and loved ones in whom it appears there's no work of grace in them. And that you might change their hearts and cause them to be at the feet of the Savior to give glory and honor unto Him. For those who are yours and seem to be out of the way, we ask for them repenting grace as we would even ask for ourselves. For we too need constant repentance in our lives. So help us and help us to be focused on the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ, trusting in Him and in Him alone. And it is in His name we pray. Amen. We continue our study in the fourth chapter of Galatians, and we really are looking at right now basically verse 10 and 11. He said, You observe days and months and times and years. I am afraid of you lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. The Judaizers were trusting in their religious feasts and holidays. And sad today, many who profess Christianity also give credence and are trusting in their ordinances, their sacraments, their holidays. We talk about holidays such as uh, Christmas and Easter, Lent, 
Palm Sundays. And you can go on and on and on. People think that participating in such holidays gives them some sort of spiritual benefit from God. And many, sad to say, are engaged in them thinking that it gives some aid and some assistance to their salvation and that there's some kind of means of grace even in observing those things. And even going beyond that, there are some that profess to be Christians that are engaged in Jewish feasts and believe in what's called the Messianic Jews in such a way of thinking that by participating in those feasts that they're getting something out of it that they don't get out of the preaching of the gospel. I remember some years ago I were to call the name, some of you may uh, remember uh, this lady, good friend. But anyway, she was caught up in this Messianic Judaism or Messianic uh, Messiah <laughs> and thought that by participating in the Passover and when they had their uh, weddings, they would have so all kinds of Jewish uh, activities and feasts and things of that nature, and just oh, just uh, how soul thrilling it was, and things of that nature. Well, I tell you, beloved, if you cannot be thrilled with Christ, there's something wrong with you because our salvation is wrapped up in the Lord Jesus Christ. Is not wrapped up in our baptism. Is not wrapped up in the Lord's Supper. You've heard me say more than once when I was uh, first converted, I thought if I didn't cry at the Lord's Supper, I wasn't spiritual. Well, I soon realized, uh, thankfully, God opened my eyes to that. And uh, that's, that's not what it's all about. Uh, obviously, if God were to bless your heart in the midst of having the Lord's Supper and your cup overflows, then that's all right. But you might be uh, sitting there uh, in one spirit and somebody else sitting next to you have a different spirit and disposition. And so, uh, and somebody else may be there just seemingly uh, uh, getting nothing out of it. But the point is, it's like everything else, we uh, practice those things by faith. By faith and not by feelings. <clears throat> but to trust in any of those things, even in baptism and the Lord's Supper, which are uh, ordinances that God gave, to trust in those things other than Christ is devilish. Is devilish. 
And we need to realize that. We need to realize that anything that takes the place of the Lord Jesus Christ is devilish. There are no spiritual benefits in with regarding to one's salvation. The kingdom of God is not that which pampers the flesh, but it is righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. We could also quote uh, from Luke 17 where the Lord told the Pharisees the kingdom of God is not with observations, it is within you. But I don't think that is talking about the Holy Spirit being in a child of grace. Because he was talking to Pharisees who were trying to uh, trick him up. And he said the kingdom of God is within you. He was using the word in the midst of you. In other words, Christ the King was standing in the middle of them and they couldn't even see Him. They saw the physical Jesus, but they didn't see the Messiah. And therefore, they were blinded to it. Look in Romans chapter 14 regarding this same idea of various holidays. Romans chapter 14 Verses 5 and 6. One man esteemeth one day above another. Another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. He that regardeth the day regardeth it unto the Lord. And he that regardeth not the day to the Lord he doth not regard it. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord, for he giveth God thanks. And he that eateth not to the Lord, he eateth not and giveth God thanks. And so on. Now, I can tell you more about what that's not than what it is (laughs) from, from that standpoint. But here he's talking about whether to eat meats or not eat meats. That's the whole context of the situation. And he's saying that when a person is doing something that is not contrary to the Word of God, and he's giving all the glory and the honor to the Lord, then he is honoring God as much as you are. In other words, if you are a vegetarian... And I'm not a vegetarian. When you come to my house, I should not be trying to force meat down your throat. But if I've got some meat cooked for me, I should have plenty of vegetables cooked for you. And you should not be trying to uh, wean me away from my meat because both of us are giving God the honor and the glory provided our hearts are in the right place with that. I might come near if you were a vegetarian not having any meat, if you came to my house, 
But the point is, each one should be mindful of the other one. And if you think your uh, vegetarianism is the stronger position, then you should bear my infirmity. <laughs> and if I think meat eating is the stronger uh, position, I should bear your infirmities. We should not enforce it on the other. And so we have things of that nature. And you might say, for example, say, for example, you might use a certain day of the week to fast. And I would use a separate day of the week to fast. I should not try to force you into my day of the week and neither should I try you try to force you, uh, uh, me into your day of the week. In other words, uh, a man may have a work schedule in such a way that he cannot devote as much time in a, uh, uh, a devotion. <laughs> Uh, in other words, you sisters who are uh, widowed and in your senior years and do not have a job to hold down, you very likely would be able to read far more passages of Scripture and do a lot more praying in your private devotion than a man who's having to work eight and ten hours a day. And it doesn't make one more spiritual than the other. Because in your providence, in the, in the providence of the Lord, your time is different, your days may be different in that. And when he's talking about these days, like I said, I can tell you more about what it's not, then I can tell you what they are. But I can tell you this, that when Paul wrote this in Romans chapter 14, and we're going to look here in a moment in Colossians chapter 2, when Paul wrote these things, he was not saying to the, to the Christians in their day that they could partake of the feast of Saturnalia and the feast of Ashtar and exercise their Christian liberty to do whatever they wanted to do. And if you want to, all you have to do, uh, I think this congregation knows this, but there may be someone out there in the internet land that hears this that doesn't know it. If they just look up uh, holidays such as Christmas and Easter, they'll find out that they are a carryover of the Feast of Saturnalia of the Roman uh, and of the Ashtar of the Greeks. In other words, it is pagan worship. It is pagan worship. <clears throat> and by the way, paganism is growing by leaps and bounds. I don't know whether you remember it or not, but it's probably been 10, almost 20 years ago 
I preached uh, some sermons here on the marks of a pagan society, and I only gave three. And one of them was cremation, one of them was body piercing, the other one was tattoos. And one of the largest pagan societies that I found on the internet was in uh, East Tennessee University, uh, Middle Tennessee University in Murfreesboro. They have one of the largest pagan societies on their campus here in our own state. Pagan is growing by leaps and bounds and I recently had uh, a close kin of mine to tell me that he's pagan. He professes to be a pagan. So it's growing. It's growing. Look in Colossians chapter 2. We'll begin at verse 16. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days which are a shadow of the things to come. (coughs) So what Paul was talking about here was not pagan holidays. He was talking about things under the Old Testament that were shadows and types of the coming of Christ. But the body is of Christ. Let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding the head from which all the body by joints and bands having nourishment ministereth and knit together increaseth with the increase of the body of Christ. Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why are ye, why as though living in the world are ye subject to ordinances, touch not, taste not, handle not, which are to perish with the using after the commandments and doctrines of men. Which things have indeed a show of wisdom in will worship and humility and neglecting of the body, but not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. So you find that people can get caught up in outward ceremonies, mystic ideas and opinions, wanting to find some supernatural encounter with something out there. (laughs) And that's sad to say. The only supernatural encounter you're going to have of any benefit is trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the only way you can do that is if God has changed your heart and mind. And that's a supernatural encounter. But I can assure you that in the midst of all of that supernatural encounter, it's not going to be filled up with a bunch of uh, uh, surges of energy flooding through your physical being. It's going to be in your heart, soul, and mind trusting in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul was laboring with these Judaizers in, in Galatia. They were honing in on circumcision. But as we'll see, as he says a little bit later, particularly in the fifth chapter, how that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. When you start giving away to any one of these things, next thing you know, people are going to be going after it in all. Uh, well, just look at our country. Look at our country. What used to be a standard practice in congregations you women would be considered to be quite foolish for having a head covering on. But that one little thing, which is not little, that one thing has a whole, teaches a whole different society with regard to the fact of a breakdown of authority. Now, I'm not going to preach on that. Uh, we'll say more about it, but you can see it more and more and more and more and more. And there are preachers that I know that say they believe it. They also say that they believe that uh, women... And men ought to dress modestly. But if you watch their congregations, you'll find that there's more and more immodest dress going on. And they're not preaching on it. And they won't preach on it. Because it's not popular. But what I'm trying to emphasize is little things... Well, I'm getting ahead of myself from in Galatians 5, but the little foxes spoil the vine. The little foxes spoil the vine. And some of this what shall I say? Some of this feeling-oriented type of worship borders on mysticism than it does 
on true faith in Christ Jesus. Paul says in verse 11, I am afraid of you, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. Labor in vain. Much of many ministries, ministry, ministers' labors are in vain in many ways. I know of a congregation who the pastor has for years taught against cross-dressing. That is, women wearing men's clothing. You say, well, pants is, they, they're, they're pants made for women. You can say whatever you want to, but if I were to come in here with a dress on, say I've got a dress made for men, you'd think I'm crazy. But anyway, uh, a faithful deacon recently wrote a paper and handed it out to all of the ladies in the congregation because he could see that some of them were beginning to uh, take up the practice And the pastor uh, got up behind after the paper was handed out, said that he uh, endorsed it, and it's what he has believed and preached for years and, and things of that nature. But the report is that still some of the women are still going ahead in their cross-dressing, wearing their pants and things of that nature. Well... It won't be long. It may be 10 years. It may be 20 years. But it won't be long. You'll see that that congregation most likely will not differ from any other that's out there. Labor's in vain. Labor's in vain. Beloved, the little things in our lives spoils us and robs us of our spiritual communion and fellowship with the Lord. And I'll say it again. It's just as wrong for a man to go naked from the waist up as it is for a woman. When God clothed Adam and Eve, He put coats on them from the shoulders down at least to the knees. At least to the knees. But people don't think anything about a man running around with a shirt off. You say, well, what does that excite? Whether it excites lust or not is contrary to the Word of God. That's the point. Is it scriptural? Is that what God's Word says? Paul says to these Galatians, I preached you, I preached the truth to you, and now you're wanting to go back to circumcision? Have I labored in vain? Preachers will preach sometimes and the general idea and the general opinion of most church members is that 
Well, that's his idea, that's his opinion. I've got my idea and I've got my opinion. And sad to say, the reason most church members have that idea is because most ministers are just as confused. Several years ago, this was early in my ministry. I won't get into all the details of the background of this, but uh, some of you remember Brother Wallace. Uh, he visited up here one time. Uh, but anyway, uh, I was walking, uh, tra traveling with Brother Wallace, and we were talking about some of this. And he was talking about how one minister come along, preach one thing, and another preacher come along, preach something else. And somebody had come along and preached something, held a meeting there at uh, where he was pastoring. And after this man left, Brother Wallace kind of straightened some things out. And he's riding down the road with one of his faithful ministers, a member, and he asked this member uh, what he thought about that. And he said, well, Brother Wallace, he said, we'll have one preacher come along, preach one thing, and another preacher come along, take the same verse and preach something else. Another one come along, preach something else from the same verse. And said, these preachers, they're all preaching different things, and we don't know what to believe. And as Brother Wallace, I've heard him say more than once, 2,000 years of religion has sure messed up Christianity. But either the Bible means what it says, or it doesn't. And if it doesn't mean what it says, then I can make it mean whatever I want it to mean. And that's where we are today in modern society. We have a Constitution of the United States. But people think the Constitution says two or three different things. Well, it means what it says. Or it doesn't mean anything. And if I come up to a four-way stop and it says four-way stop, it means what it says. Or I can just say, well, it doesn't mean what it says and go on. And the Bible is the same way. But sometimes you find a faithful minister and because of all the confusion and everything and sometimes because just simply because of the hardness of people's hearts his labor is in vain. His labor is in vain. The minister warns the audience. Look in First uh, Thessalonians chapter 3. Verse 5. For this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter have tempted you in our labor be in vain. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. 
verse 6. No, 16, excuse me. Let's go back to verse 14. Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the truth of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. What is the day of Christ? That's when the Lord returns. That's when the Lord returns. Now I don't know what all is going to be involved and I don't know how all of this is going to play out. But Paul said to the Philippians, I want you to listen to the Scriptures and obey the Scriptures so that in the day of Christ it won't prove that I have labored in vain. God is going to hold us accountable. Paul said in Corinthians letter, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account of the things done in the body, whether they be good or bad or evil. Some way, somehow, I believe that each individual that listens to the gospel is going to have to give an account to God as to how well they obeyed the gospel that was preached by faithful ministers. Now, if I'm just standing up here giving you my idea and my opinion, and I don't have Scripture for it, then you're not obligated to obey that. You're only obligated to obey what the Word of God says. Then in verse 12, Brethren, I beseech you be as I am, for I am as you are, ye are, ye have not injured me at all. Ye know how through the, well, I'll just stop here in verse 12 for a moment. Here again, Paul identifies the Galatian believers as brethren. Notice that. Brethren, I beseech you be as I am. And you remember that prior to this, we pointed out in uh, when Paul uh, called the Galatians in chapter 2 foolish Galatians, he was not giving harsh criticism against them. He was entreating them as a father, a loving father to a foolish child. 
In fact, he uses this word brethren quite frequently throughout the book book of Galatians. Look in verse 28. Galatians 4.28 Now ye brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. Verse 31 So then brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. Chapter 5, verse 11 And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Verse 13, For brethren, ye have have been called unto liberty. Chapter 6 and verse 1, Brethren, if any man be overtaken in a fault. And then in chapter verse 18, the last verse, Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So when Paul called them foolish Galatians, he wasn't just jumping down on them with both feet. It was a, it was a loving uh, rebuke. And it was one in such a way, as, as I've said before, as a father uh, trying to correct a child that was acting foolish. Because all through the Scriptures, I didn't read the ones beforehand where he calls them brethren. Then he says, Brethren, be ye as I am. Now I'm going to borrow from Dr. Gill here. (laughs) Be ye as I am, for I am as ye are, ye have not injured me at all. So I'm going to read two statements here about that from Gill. I thought he said it better than I could say it. And... uh, uh, I had to defer and read uh, other men when I got to this verse because I didn't, uh, I just didn't know where to go with it. Gill said, Be as I am. This phrase rather seems to have regard to likeness and imitation. And the sense is, that he would have them to be as he was and to do as he did. To be as free from the law and the servitude and bondage of it as he was. To reckon themselves dead unto it as he did. And to relinquish the observation of days and months and times and years and any and every part of the ceremonial law and to account all these things as he had done, lost and done for Christ. And thus he presses, not in an authoritative way, laying his command as an apostle upon them, but in a kind and gentle manner entreating them, and which he backs with the following reason or argument. And then when he said, I am as you are, Gil went on to say, the sense be, I am as you are, and you are as I am with respect to things spiritual. We are both alike in Christ, chosen in Him, and redeemed by Him, and equally regenerated by His Spirit, and are all the children of God by faith in Him, and no more servants. 
All are equally Christ-free men and have a right to the same privileges and immunities and therefore be as I am, as free from from observing the ceremonies of the law and from the bondage of it since we are upon equal foot and upon the same foundation of Christ. So anyway, in either case, it boils down to this. The Gentile and the Jew are justified alike. There's no big I or little you in the kingdom of God. We are all in Christ Jesus by faith in Christ Jesus. And when he says, you have not injured me at all, again, I borrow from Gil, this he says, lest they should think that he spoke out of anger and resentment and on account of any personal affront offered to him. I really like that Gil said that and in the other quote where Gil said he was kind and gentle to them, uh, that I had already come up with the idea that uh, when he talked to used brethren so much that the foolish Galatians, he wasn't just jumping down them on both feet and it uh, uh, kind of made me happy <laughs> that Gil agreed with me <laughs> or I agreed with Gil or whatever. But anyway, you know, it's good when you study something out and you find men that you respect, they have the same uh, endorsement. Anyway, you have not injured me at all. I'll begin that quote again. Gil said, This he says, lest they should think that he spoke out of anger and resentment and on account of any personal affront offered to him, which leads him to take notice of their formal kindness and respect to him, and which he designs as a reason why they should pay the same deference to him as to them. And so while he was somewhat concerned that his labors might be in vain, he was confident that their actions did not injure him nor do any injury to him personally. Now we want to take up and we'll kindly introduce this and come back to it this afternoon. But I want to read verses 13 through 20. This is somewhat concerning Paul's physical state. Now, keep this in mind. Nobody knows what Paul looked like. Though I've got some historian that gave a description of what he thought Paul looked like. Well, I'll read it right now. The historian Nicephorus said this of Paul. He had a small and contracted body, somewhat crooked and bowed, a pale face, looked old, and had a little head, 
He had a sharp eye. His eyebrows hung downward. His nose was beautifully bent, somewhat long. His beard thick and pretty long. And that as the hair of his head had a sprinkling of gray hairs. Well, how he got all of that, I don't know. <laughs> it is amazing what, what pictures we can uh, conjure up in our minds of some of these uh, patriarchs of the scriptures. Have you ever tried to figure out, think about what Abraham might have looked like or what David might have looked like and, and all of that? Of course, you see drawings from time to time and pictures and sketches and, and so on. Uh, most likely, most likely, if we ever, uh, when we do see them, uh, we'll be surprised. We'll be surprised. Of course, they'll be in the glorified body like we at that time. But, did not Peter, James, and John recognize Moses and Elijah? Did not the disciples recognize the Lord Jesus Christ after He was resurrected except when their eyes were holden? I believe that somehow we're going to have the same semblance. You say, well, how's that going to be? I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. But I believe we can get some ideas from those things. But anyway, let's read these verses, lest I digress too much. Verse 13. You know how through infirmity of the flesh I preached the gospel unto you at the first. And my temptation which was in my flesh ye despised not, nor rejected but received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. Where is then the blessedness ye spake of? For I bear you record that if it had been possible, ye would have plucked out your own eyes and have given them to me. Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? They, speaking of the Judaizers, they zealously affect you, but not well. Yea, they would exclude you, that you might affect them. But it is good to be zealously affected always in a good thing. And not only when I am present with you. My little children of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you, I desire to be present with you now and to change my voice, for I stand in doubt of you. You can see there that Paul had some infirmities. He had some temptations. It appears that he had some bodily afflictions that did not make him... Uh, good to look at. Some thinks that he had eye problems. He may have. It, we don't know exactly what it all was, but the point is they received Paul 
as a minister of the gospel, a messenger, as an angel. In some ways, it reminds me of how this congregation receives me. In other words, uh, that's a credit to you, <laughs> in my opinion, that you realize that I'm human, you realize that I am not popular by the world, but you believe that I preach the gospel. That's how they received him. I have been to congregations that when I first went there, they kind of received me as an angel. But it didn't take long that their countenance changed toward me. Sad to say. And that happens a lot of time with men who endeavor to preach the gospel. But we'll come back to this, Lord willing, this afternoon and look more directly at some of these things that Paul was speaking about in some of his trials and afflictions. And Frankly, I'm, I'm, I'm amazed at the tenacity of the Apostle Paul and all that he went through. It, it, just, it just astounds me. I just, uh, frankly, I feel like ashamed to be counted a minister in light of the Apostle Paul. But you know what? He was a sinner saved by the same grace that I am and that you are. Anyway, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. It's not always agreeable to our flesh. Well, in reality, it's never agreeable to our flesh. But we thank You that You're faithful. And You've kept the Word for us. And I pray that You would Bless us to hide it in our hearts that we not sin against you. In Christ we pray. Amen.